Hey, it's Mark. Among the steady drumbeat of news about racial and ethnic disparities plaguing U.S. healthcare, successes in combating those disparities are rare. Solutions are desperately needed to close gaps in decades-old inequities like infant mortality, asthma, obesity, and diabetes, to name just a few. That's why I found a recent case study from Medicare Advantage plan provider Scan Health to be so intriguing. The plan's leaders say they were able to improve the percentage of Black and Hispanic members who took their cholesterol, diabetes, and blood pressure medicines as prescribed, and in the process reduced disparities in medication inheritance among those patients. An understanding of how the plan was able to achieve those results holds valuable lessons for other organizations in the healthcare space that may be trying to reduce other racial or ethnic disparities. This week on the podcast, what it takes to make equity an organizational priority that delivers results, how one health plan reduced racial disparities in medication inheritance, and the insights their experience holds for others seeking to advance health equity. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. We'll speak with two of the case study's co-authors, Scan Health Plan's Sharon Jawar, Chief Pharmacy Officer, and Tim Shell Tarbit, VP of Business Excellence and Diversity Strategy, about how they tackle this disparity, results seen, and what others looking to reduce disparities in healthcare can learn from their multi-pronged approach. Sharon and Tim Shell, welcome to the MMN Podcast. Good morning, Mark. Pleasure to be here with you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Great to be with both of you. Uh, thanks again for joining us. So Scan Health is one of the nation's largest nonprofit Medicare Advantage plans, serving uh, more than a quarter of a million people in Arizona, California, Nevada. Uh, let's just start off by having you tell me about your patient population. Yeah, so Scan Health Plan, we were actually founded, Mark, by 12 angry seniors back in the 70s in Long Beach, California, and they wanted their medical care and their social care to be coordinated. So they formed Senior Care Action Network. And for 45 years now, we've been fulfilling the same mission, keeping seniors healthy and independent. And while that's kind of easy for me to roll off my tongue and say, it really is hard to do. And um, this case study that we're going to be kind of conversing about is, is a key example. You know, one of the things that I think is important is when we look at our membership, the breakdown is roughly about 52% white. 20% Hispanic and 28% Black, AAPI, and other mixed races. A large focus of our, our efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion includes efforts to both diversify our membership population to ensure that we're really aligned both racially and ethnically with the communities that we serve, but also finding ways to support those diverse members. Okay. And what was it about their medication inheritance that was problematic? Yeah, I mean, right, as you age, um, you tend to have multiple chronic conditions. Our seniors tend to have that trifecta, high cholesterol, pre-diabetes or diabetes, and high blood pressure. And so what we kind of did was take a look at not only how well all of our members were taking their medications, but as we did that, we noticed that there were disparities in terms of our Hispanic and Black members being less adherent than our white members. And you know, as we reflected on like, hey, why is that the case? We weren't really sure why, especially since our benefit design for prescriptions offers all of these chronic medications for a zero dollar copay. So we, we, we felt like, hey, affordability isn't the, isn't the key reason why there is this difference. And so we really set out on this journey to understand, 
you know, what it was um, that was driving the difference in medication adherence for Black and Latinx members. And we started off that journey with ethnographic interviews, and Tim Show was key in leading that within our organization. Yeah, you know, uh, as I think about the journey, because it's definitely been a journey, one of the things that we did at the very beginning was we sat down and we talked to both our internal um, Hispanic and Black colleagues, right? We wanted to understand what their personal experiences were. So we hosted listening sessions with individuals within that community, but also, you know, experts in the pharmacy area and other areas, independents at home, community benefit programs who have decades of experience dealing with medication adherence. And then we talked with colleagues in those communities that either are of that age or have family members of that age to get their take on what some of the challenges might be also. And so you decided to tackle uh, those adherence problems. When did the effort begin and how did it go? So we had noticed the disparity around late 2020, and we started our journey at the beginning of 2021. And, you know, we're still on the journey, mind you, but in 12 months, we have been able to reduce that gap in medication adherence by 35%. Which is really equivalent to roughly 700 more Black and Hispanic members taking their medications as prescribed. And so when you think about that, that means that they're potentially preventing heart attacks, strokes, and ultimately death. So 700 members, that's to me a very meaningful number. Sure, sure. And just to put it in perspective, the disparities among Scan Health's members who are Black and Hispanic were several percentage points below those of the, of the white members. When you saw those gaps, what was your initial reaction? Was, that, was, was it like, well, that's not so terrible? Or was it like, well, any gap is terrible? Yeah, you know, um, I keep a close pulse on how well our med- members are taking their medications. And if we're able to improve half a percent of our members taking their medications better than they were, that's a big deal. And so when we took a look at the difference between our Hispanic and Black members and saw a 3% lower rate of adherence, that's a big gap. Three doesn't sound huge, but when you actually know what it takes to taking your medications as prescribed, that 3% Delta is actually a pretty, it's a, it's a big deal. Sure. And as, especially as you, as you scale it up to an entire population on a population health level. So let's talk about how you got there. Um, achieving the results, as you put it, was neither easy nor inexpensive. And in fact, SCAN estimates that it spent close to a million dollars on this initiative. What would you say was the easiest, lowest hanging fruit? And what was the most difficult or the most expensive of of your multi-pronged approach? So I would say that nothing about it was easy. So we, we have been working for years with our members to make sure that they get the most out of their medications and that they stay on track with their medications. And so over those years, right, the simple things around like, refill reminders, organizing your medications in pill boxes, making sure our benefit provides medications for no cost, or filling a 90-day supply so that you know there's less likelihood of forgetting. Those have all, those had peaked, if you will. And so we kind of knew that um, in in our Hispanic and Black members that it was something more than that. So I would say that the low hanging fruit, there wasn't anything really that stood out to me as being the easy part of this. 
In terms of the most kind of impactful, if you will, yet difficult, I was thinking about um, how we culturally and linguistically paired our team with our members. I think that that was the most impactful as well as expensive, right? Hiring folks culturally and linguistically relevant to have that shared experience with our members. When someone looks like you, sounds like you, has similar experiences to you, that really does build trust and that stronger likelihood that you're receptive to that behavior change or improving, you know, taking care of yourself. So I would say that that was probably uh, expensive as well as impactful. Yeah, I agree, Sharon. I, you know, as I think about that, I, I don't know that I would add anything other than as we were thinking about this and working on our journey, one of the challenges um, just from a DEI standpoint was the comfort around even starting to think about how do we even approach our employees and say, hey, you know, we'd like to pair you with somebody from your community. We wanted to make sure that we were focusing on people's job skills, but also finding a way to really connect with the members and do that in a way that would not offend our employees, right? So it was it was not just expensive, but it was one where we were kind of wanting to make sure that, you know, we were engaging in the right manner. And I have to tell you that all the employees that we connected with were like, yes, we want to do this. We, they were just as excited about doing it and approaching it that way as we were. Yeah. But it was a little bit of a, at the beginning, right, an uncomfortable conversation. Because I know we were saying, like, can we do this? Can we can we pair like this? And Tim Shell's like, well, let's just ask our team if, right. we, if, if they care or not. And uh, to Tim Shell's point, everyone was welcoming of the concept and the idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. And, and uh, you know, just to say that the steps ranged from tying uh, executives' bonuses to uh, goals here, understanding the root causes through ethnographic research, excuse me, uh, recruiting and training, as you mentioned. And, you know, people can read about this in the Harvard Business Review where you, where you wrote this up, but um, you uh, hired bilingual job candidates and uh, they learned what you called cultural humility, which I found interesting. And the pharmacists and care navigators reached out directly to members who were of the same race or ethnicity in order to assess barriers to adherence and design bespoke solutions for each member. So that that's where, you know, the, the costs probably factored in the most, as you, as you pointed out. Can you give an example of how this played out with a, a real patient? Yeah, um, I shared a little bit about Maria, um, one of our members. She's a 67-year-old Latina and has diabetes. And as our care navigator was getting to know Maria, she was learning how Maria would take cleanses due to religious beliefs and stop taking her medications for periods of time. And so um, she could relate because in her own family, being a Latina herself and living with older relatives, she had familiarity with Maria and could identify with um, how Maria lives her life. And in that conversation, she kind of shared a little bit about her own life and how her mother uses tea for a lot of remedies and ailments. And so that really does build kind of that rapport with another person. And through series of phone calls, right, because this doesn't happen on just one interaction with someone, they began to connect more so with each other. And as they kind of developed over the months, their conversation and um, could relate to one another better, Maria did over time begin to understand through our care navigator that, hey, you know, I can have my beliefs, but I can also take medication. They can go hand in hand. 
And she did actually schedule a follow-up with her doctor. And that's a huge deal, right? Sometimes we think about, hey, you know, did we get someone to actually start the medication? Um, because right at the end of the day, we know and we're already there in our minds that that is, is going to be helpful to Maria. But a big step in that is her feeling comfortable to go have that conversation with her doctor and have a medication review. And so for us, yeah, it may have taken six months, but that's a big leap, right? When we talk about the easy stuff around refill reminders and all of that, you can see this wasn't easy stuff. Sure, sure. I like how you kind of looked at your population. I mean, obviously this was not a neglected population by any stretch of the imagination, but you realized, hey, the, the usual stuff is not working anymore. You know, we've got to try something else to try to close these gaps. And, and that's when you realized that you needed to take this more uh, in sort of interventional approach here with these members. And it worked. Was there uh, an area where you, you thought maybe it fell a little bit short? I don't necessarily think that anything necessarily fell short. I think that uh, what we found was is that some of our members needed help with their prescription was ready, but then there wasn't the ability in that moment for them to go pick it up from the pharmacy. And when they were struggling with that, you know, you think about some pharmacies have like the local courier service, right? But that takes one to two days sometimes. And so we had started up a um, kind of like a task rabbit, like delivery service. And as we were trying to implement that, it wasn't as fast as that DoorDash or the Uber Eats, right? And so um, while we all had good intentions of trying to get the medication to our members very timely, I would say that there, there was room for improvement um, as we go forward with that. And, and being able to get members, you know, their medications expeditiously, especially if they're out of medications, right? Good medication practice is to order your refills about a week before you're going to run out. But in certain cases, that just doesn't happen in our lives. And so whenever that need was there, I feel like we still have not perfected when people need their medication today. Mm -hmm. And I know the effort also enlisted a host of partners like uh, MedArrive, which was started, of course, by Dan Trigub of Uber Health. And uh, so interesting. How are you expanding the effort? Yeah. So this was kind of the, the start of um, how we reduce uh, inequities in healthcare for us at Scan Health Plan. We had taken a look at all of our quality ratings. It's about 45 different quality metrics that we are benchmarked against from CMS. And we saw a variety of different areas, but medication adherence jumped out at us. So that was our first area where we said, hey, let's hone in here. Let's learn how to make a difference. And then we will broaden it out to other areas. And so this year we're continuing on our journey with medication adherence because like I mentioned, Mark, we reduced the gap by 35%, but we haven't eliminated it. And so we continue on the journey with medication adherence. We also are focused in on uh, blood sugar control in our Latinx members, we see a disparity there. And then we also see a disparity in vaccination rates, flu vaccination rates in our black members. So now we're expanding our effort into those additional two areas and populations. Sure. And um, do you think, you know, especially going on, on the latter point about expanding flu vaccination rates amongst those from the black community, do you see that that disparity is, is a movable one? I definitely, you know, myself think that it is um, movable. So when we think about 
some of the things that we learned on medication adherence, they're transferable, right? The cultural and linguistical pairing, the shared experiences when you can relate to another human being, that really does make an, a difference in being able to drive, if you will, someone to, to listen to perhaps a better way to take care of their health. And so I definitely think that it is doable and we can make a real difference. Does it take a lot? Does it take a lot of resources to do it and commitment to do it? Absolutely. I, Tim Shaw, I don't know what you think, but I, I felt like right at the very beginning, it takes everyone focused on it. And the fact that we had tied in an incentive across the organization, it took everyone across the organization, right? To, to make sure that everyone knew that this was a priority. Otherwise, we get bogged down in our day on the multiple different things that are important within our organization. Um, I feel like that really helped. I don't know what your your take is, Timshel. Yeah, Sharon, uh, thanks. I, I fully agree with you there. I, I remember making a comment, you know, put your money where your mouth is. But as I think about um, about midway through the year last year, and we were looking at, you know, different interventions and different ways to to address it, one of the things that I think made it real meaningful is that we it was tied to incentives. Um, I do think with the African-American community, it is a movable, it's a movable number and it's a movable outcome, but it's going to take work and lift because there has been so many historical things that have created distrust in the system overall. And so it's really building those relationships. And if you you think about Maria and the fact that we you know, it took six months, but we built a relationship with her and built that level of trust. The same thing can happen here. And I think my hope is, is that we're able to do it. Yeah. A predominant thing that we noticed um, honing in on our Black and Hispanic members, like Tim Shell mentioned, the trust building was um, a key area that we had to really improve as we were helping our Black members. And um, in language was a key piece with our Latinx members, because what we found was is that as they were going to doctor's appointments and conversing with healthcare providers, they simply just didn't understand what was being conveyed to them. So those were two big um, lessons that as we think about where, you know, uh, working on blood sugar control and vaccination rates for flu, um, lessons and pearls of wisdom that we carry forward there. And I think, you know, a lot of us at SCAN, Tim Shell mentioned about, you know, we've impacted 700 folks, right? And we, we spent a heck of a lot of money. When you think about it, right? At the end of the day, improve their diabetes, their health, the quality of life that they're living, it's worth it. Well, feel, yeah. Feel very good about that. When you think about that, right, for those 700 people, think about the millions of dollars that the health system would have paid to treat them if they had a stroke or a heart attack or, you know, on that continuum up to and leading to their death, but also the continued distrust that that might build within the community. So I, I think it's huge from that standpoint also. Sure. And when we talk about movable outcomes, I'm wondering, is this really practical for others to implement? You know, I'm sure that, for instance, in the pharmaceutical industry, where they're also trying to advance medication adherence, that some of these pearls of wisdom could transfer. Can you elaborate on that point a bit? So I think that pharmaceutical companies, they have a lot of uh, patient care programs 
And so they can take these learnings um, as they're helping patients in those care programs. But I also think that um, on the front end, as they test out new medications, what we're seeing now is, is that a lot of manufacturers are ensuring that as they test these medications and before they bring them to market, that they are testing them in diverse populations, right? Because medications affect all of us in different ways. And so that's another key thing that we're seeing pharmaceutical manufacturers um, now doing, which is great. Okay. And uh, this is not the first time your plan has tackled a seemingly intractable healthcare issue. Last year, SCAN launched a togetherness program aimed at reducing loneliness among older adults. So the culture is one of not shying away from scary problems. Uh, Any final remarks here? I was just going to piggyback on what you were saying, Mark. So, you know, not only have we been focused on uh, loneliness, but also homelessness and how to bring care to where our members are in the community. And so we have a street medicine team that actually brings care to where our member is. I just think, you know, it's important from a healthcare industry to realize that each of us as an individual is on our own healthcare journey and trying to use the same methodology to treat everybody doesn't work because we all do have different experiences, but different reactions to it. And so it's really important that we show and treat each person as an N of one and address it in that way. And from my standpoint, and I think from SCAN's standpoint, it's so important that we appreciate each individual for their uniqueness and try and find the best way to take care of them in that manner. Very well said. Okay, great. Well, Sharon and Tim Show, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really fascinating discussion. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Mark. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizi M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.